With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and today we'll be breaking down some of your start-sit questions to go along with some top DFS picks. Uh, be sure to check out our Wednesday show for a full game-by-game breakdown of the Week 2 slate from myself and PFF's own Dwayne McFarlane. We've been loading up on PFF dudes as guests lately, and, you know, they're, they're all smart guys. It's a, I hope the shows have been fine. But today, we have a very special visitor that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. Now, I, I've gone, you know, to far lengths to get this intro ready. I've, you know, swept everything I could find, but we have the connoisseur of context, the fake football meteorologist of sharp football analysis, the Swami of Konami, Rich Rebar, a.k.a. at Lord Reeves on Twitter. Rich, how's it going, man? Yeah, man, what is going on? It's always great to, you know, one, get see that the Ohio branch of fantasy football, you know, analyst Twitter has is, is grown and, and gone to great lengths. And, you know, you're, I don't know if you've, have you moved to Cincinnati? Or are, you, are, you, are you planning on it? I'm in uh, Columbus for the time being. We'll see what the future holds. Okay. But, yeah, man, Ohio against the world, always and forever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Rumor, rumor has it, as I don't know if I'm on the spoilers, but rumor has it is that Ohio is going to be a spot that's going to host one of the Scott Fishbowl dra- live drafts next year. Ooh, as it should be. Why not? Let's <laughs> bring it on. The more Midwest, the better. As we like to say, our two mottos in Ohio are it's a nice, affordable place to live, and also we are better than Detroit. So with that said, uh, you know, I want to direct people to the uh, PFF Fantasy Twitter page, at PFF underscore Fantasy. Every Tuesday, we send out a message asking for your toughest start sick questions. I go through them at some point Tuesday night, and here we are Wednesday ready to answer them. So apologies if I didn't get to pick yours. was trying to touch on certain players, get some tough conversations going. So without further ado, we're going to dive right into some start sick questions, Rich. All right. Malcolm Brown versus Devin Singletary from at O-Rain. I mean, yeah. I mean, are, do, do we know, like, are these PPR leagues? Are they or just assuming? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's assume PPR. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, conversation with the whole Rams backfield and even the Bills to an extent, too. I mean, uh, I think if I'm going start sit just like in general, who I want to play, Malcolm Brown gets the kind of touches I want. I mean, if you look at me, he played 16 third downs in week one. Cam Akers and Darrell Henderson only played one. He got all the goal line touches and he got all the favorable touches. Cam Akers faced eight or more men in the box on 43% of his carries. Malcolm Brown just 17%. Now, the matchup is definitely not as good, uh, you know, against the Eagles. They've been a team we've kind of avoided on the ground. So I don't think it's a, we're going to just smash Malcolm Brown in as like a, a set RB2 moving forward. But I think that he gets the kind of touches we want to pursue for fantasy. Devin Singletary's got a good matchup, but we saw already in week one, he's conceding goal line work to Zach Moss. Uh, wasn't in on any of the goal lines. He was in on the, on the Josh Allen run. Obviously, Zach Moss caught a touchdown. Uh, so, I mean, he's kind of get those, I call them purgatory backs. Like, he just gets the kind of touches, like, he'll, he can have 15 for 75 and look amazing, but you're not, you're not, you're not, 
getting over the hurdle with with the, with him. So I mean, Malcolm Brown can have a bad game and score a touchdown. So I mean, I'll chase the the favorable touches uh, over the probably more efficient touches that Singletary will get. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The range of outcomes for Brown is definitely, I think, higher if things go his way. But, you know, I will caution people. I don't think we're looking at locked-in weekly RB2 just yet. You know, this quote after the game from Sean McVay really pointed me towards that. And this was McVay's words. Uh, Last night, it was Malcolm's night, and I thought he delivered in a big way. It might be the same next week in Philly. It might be different. I think each week, we'll kind of present different approaches, but we feel good about three running backs. Good to get Daryl in there for a couple carries as well. Even though he was a little bit more limited, I think as he continues to get healthy, we feel really good about all three of those now, I mocked him saying this throughout the offseason, but to his credit, it really did appear to be a hot hand system in week one, at least. And Brown was the best back, so he kept going. So, you know, perfectly capable that he could do that again. But, you know, I was my RB27 this week. I get moving up a little bit more, but again, just wouldn't assume top 20 production on a weekly basis in this fluid backfield. All right. Again, assuming PPR here, this one's from at Dayton Hence, maybe another Ohio boy. Who knows? Uh, Joe Mixon versus Austin Eckler. I still do have Mixon a couple spots higher, higher than Eckler, uh, even if we're assuming PPR, because, you know, obviously now the talk of week one was just Will Austin Eckler catch passes after <laughs> being targeted just once. Um, but I'm more concerned. I, I know he's going to get involved in the pass game to some degree. I mean, I'm more concerned that, you know, Josh Kelly got that only carry inside the five. He had three of the four carries inside the 10. Uh, that's what I'm more worried about a little bit. We want touchdowns. We want touchdown production. I mean, Mixon still has that. I mean, he, he was nondescript week one, and that the offensive line was outmatched by the Charger offensive line, but he still had 20 touches. He had 80% of the backfield touches. Um, he's got a really good history against the Browns. I mean, in six career games against Cleveland, he's averaged 135 yards from scrimmage in two games last year. He had 176 yards and 186 yards uh, with the touchdowns. Um, so, I mean, I've still got him a couple spots higher. I'm willing to still go to bat for Joe Mixon. I hope we don't have to wait nine weeks like we did last year for this to finally take off. Um, I still have Eckler as a top 15 guy, too, because I think the matchup is really good. Uh, again, especially when you look at the Chiefs, they allowed the ghost of David Johnson to kind of come back and, and re reignite everyone's flames for him. Uh, in week one, I think that the Chargers will run the ball effectively. It just depends on if they can stay in game script. Uh, but I do have Mixon just a couple spots higher. Yeah, I'm with you. I got Mixon RB10 this week, Eckler RB13. So it's definitely close. And, you know, it's, it's funny Mixon because every week, you know, I put together his taking stock of all the backfields article. And, you know, everyone's always surprised that Giovanni Bernard just consistently carves out these, you know, 30, 40% snap rolls with a handful of targets. Because Mixon is one of these guys where if he got those targets, I mean, he has a skill set for it. He could be a legit top five fantasy back. Unfortunately, in this role, I think his, you know, ceiling's more in that eight to 10 range, but that's fine. 20 plus carries and, you know, a couple targets per game we'll live with that it does seem like that might be you know Austin Eckler's role more weeks than not career high 19 carries and stellar 69 percent uh snap rate in week one just think Mixon's touch floor is a little bit higher and you said it, it is a really good uh match up here against Kansas City but I think what we're going to need from Eckler he's going to get more than one target for sure but let's see some more design stuff because we know Tyrod's not a fan of checking down so you know put Eckler out there at wide receiver get these God, they did it last year with Andre Patton. Now we got another dude just sitting out there, wide receiver three, not doing anything. Put Eckler out there. Defense will pay attention to him. All right, moving on to some wide receivers here. This is from at Triple Green, uh, Tyler Lockett versus A.J. Brown. All right, we got Tyler Lockett versus A.J. Brown. Who you got? Oh, man, this is a tough one to me because I don't want to run away news with A.J. Brown. Like, he had eight targets last week. You know, it's tied for the team lead. You know, the bad news is, you know, 
His eight out was just 6.9 yards, which when it was 14 yards last year. Uh, and then when you go back to like his past like four games, you know, dating back to last season, I mean, 10 total catches. Uh, and he's actually been out targeted by Corey Davis. So for those of that span, the locket run. The kind of that, that spot that we've avoided, you know, that Patriots secondary, the guys that have just kind of limited everybody. Um, uh, man, this is a tough one for me. I do have Brown just a little bit higher because I think the touchdown upside's a higher, a little bit higher, but I wouldn't fault anyone for playing for a safe floor with Lockett. Um, you know, he still ran 68% of his routes in the slot. You know, he's not going to run to Stephon Gilmore. You know, all those guys are good in that secondary. Um, I think for if you're going for just the floor and you want like a solid game in a PPR sense, I think Lockett's your guy. I think AJ Brown is a much higher ceiling this week, though. Yeah, tough matchup and just tough overall spot for Lockett. I think some people are looking at the Seahawks-Patriots game expecting a shootout, but we're looking at after week one, I mean, the 32nd and 27th ranked teams and situation neutral pace. So two pretty good defenses on both sides of the ball, you know, two great secondaries really. So going to be tough for Lockett. I'm also team A.J. Brown. I mean, if you had told me two weeks ago A.J. Brown's going to get eight targets in week one, I'd feel pretty fantastic about that. About that. I know, you know, he only turned in five catches for 39 yards, but, you know, Tannehill puts that faith at the end of the game, a little bit more on the money. I think we're kind of talking in a different tone about A.J. Brown. So, you know, okay, Corey Davis is going to be there. But, hey, if Tannehill is going to start throwing the ball potentially 40 times a week, wouldn't it be the wildest thing if A.J. Brown and Corey Davis can present some sort of weekly value? But between Lockett and A.J., you know, good problem to have. But, yeah, I'm also going A.J. All right, from Connor Wren, Stefan Diggs versus Mike Evans. Now, I, I saw something before the show started. I believe if it, if it changed your opinion, John Brown missed practice with, uh, with an injury. Yeah, definitely something to, to monitor. I still like it. I mean, kind of like the same, it's almost like the same layout that we just talked about, you know, with AJ Brown. I mean, it's well, one Mike Evans coming into the week, we kind of didn't expect anything from Mike Evans. Then he played. I actually think if you own Mike Evans, you should feel kind of positive because he played 93% of snaps and looked healthy. Uh, you know, granted, you, you know, he was completely erased once again by Marshawn Lattimore. Um, but, you know, he's, he's going to be in a, better, a, a good spot bouncing back, you know, against the Carolina defense that we're going to target with everybody weekly going forward. It's the youngest defense in the NFL. Stephon Diggs looked great. If you would have told me the Bills, both Stephon Diggs and John Brown would have led the NFL in routes run in week one, I would have laughed at you, especially <laughs> huge favorites, but they did. Uh, and he looked good. They had, he caught eight, nine of targets, had good rapport. A little stickier matchup, though, this week than he had against the Jets. You know, Xavier Howard and Byron Jones on the outside. Those guys only combined a lot of three catches last week, and granted it was the, the Patriots boundary receiver. So Diggs is going to be is going to meet them a little bit in the middle there. Um, but I still think I want to go back to Evans here. I mean, I think it's, we're getting a lot of stylistic play questions, and I like chasing guys that have touchdown potential. Uh, those are guys I like to roster. Um, and I like Stephon Diggs a lot, but I think Mike Evans still has a, um, a higher ceiling, you know, in his range of outcomes here than Stephon Diggs does in this matchup. It just seems like everything's set enough for this to be a boom week for Evans. As, as you said, I mean, his snap rate was up there last week. So even if the hamstring injury has him at less than 100%, his snaps are right there where they normally would be. And, I mean, over these past few years with the Panthers, they've had – they used to have James Bradbury as number one corner, one of the toughest wide receiver cornerback matchups every single year because he has to go against, you know, Michael Thomas, Julio, and Mike Evans uh, six total times per season. So he wasn't one of these guys that was shutting down these dudes. But Bradbury's one of the league's bigger uh, number one cornerbacks. He at least did a good 
good job of making life tough on Mike Evans. Now, man, they don't have anyone over six foot or over 200 pounds. I just think he's going to body these guys. And it's just, a, we already have, you know, a squeaky wheel spot in week two. We got Bruce Arians saying he, he feels bad if Evans gets less than 10 targets. So uh, kind of lost in that disappointing, you know, TB12 debut. His deep ball looked pretty good, man. I mean, the arm strength hasn't gone anywhere from Brady. I think the best is still to come for, for, from this Buccaneers offense and team as a whole. I mean, no shame in losing on the road in week one to the Saints, who are, in my opinion, the favorites to win the NFC as a whole. All right, this one is from Boss Man at PFF George himself, Robert Woods versus Will Fuller. Oh, this is one of those ones where you want to say that we had a bunch of floor versus ceiling questions, but I actually think this one is just is just open and shut kind of Robert Woods just because I think the floor and ceiling both kind of lie with him. I know that sounds crazy to say that the Will Fuller doesn't have a high ceiling, but since the Ravens have acquired Marcus Peters, they haven't allowed any receiver to reach 100 receiving yards. They've allowed just two wide receiver one scoring weeks uh, since that span, and they are number one in completion rate on balls thrown 15 yards or further downfield. Now, Fuller showed us on Thursday in that opener that they're going to use him a little more near line of scrimmage. He's going to get some more padding targets. I don't think that this is a spot where it's 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 inducive for a high ceiling. I'm kind of down on Deshaun Watson this week. Uh, this week as well. When you look, especially at his low scoring game against the Ravens uh, in his career uh, last year when these two teams played, where Woods, you know, kind of picked up right where he left off, you know, six, six of eight targets he caught for 105 yards. Um, he's actually going to be going against his, you know, old teammates, uh, you know, Nick Kowalski Coleman and then Darius Slay, which isn't a great matchup, but I just think that the way they scheme him and get him targets uh, is gives him a really bankable floor. And he has been just outplaying Cooper Cup now going back to like the last nine weeks in the last season. Um, so I'm still high on Robert Woods. Yeah, it's, I would like to see George's entire lineup because I don't know why we need to bench either of these guys. I mean, in my yeah. opinion, two, <laughs> True. two, yeah, two uh, top 15 receivers this week. There's just a thing with the Rams, man. So they're, they had their week nine by last season. Then we actually saw them go from being the most frequent offense in three wide receiver sets to going straight away from that using a little bit more Johnny Munt, two tight end stuff. And it's really helped Woods. I mean, since that bye, Woods has only played eight games and Cubs had nine games, but Woods has had 35 additional targets along with the rushing floor, man. They are just feeding him and I think Cup's going to be okay because the problems he had last year like he was getting taken off the field in two wide receiver sets they've uh, they've righted those wrongs he was there in week one so I think Cup could actually have a nice little bounce back week but yeah I, I just think Woods the floor is too high and I mean we talk about high floor guys like high floor guys have high ceilings as well because all it takes is you know one of those catches to get in the end zone and god man if there's one guy in this league that could use some touchdown regression at some point <laughs> it's Bobby Trees so all right this next one is from at will three five two oh four five one six six sick handle man uh robbie anderson versus russell gage versus john brown i guess with john brown hurt uh we can kind of throw him out so let's just go with robbie anderson versus russell gage yeah, I mean, I think here I'm still looking at Robbie Anderson. I just the way the Carolina offense functioned the first week, it was very similar to what we had kind of from like the Arizona Cardinals offense all year ago. I mean, they targeted their wide receivers at a league high rate. Uh, just under 80% of the targets went to wide receivers. All of those guys got eight or more targets: Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore, along with Robbie. A. Now, Robbie A. did get the splash play that kind of inflated his line a little bit. Um, but I think that we're going to see just them throw a lot, you know, throughout the course of the season. Like there's going to be a lot of weeks where all those guys are flirting with seven plus targets. Um, where Russell Gage, I think is a, a fine floor play, but I think that he and Hayden Hurst are going to oscillate a little bit. And we'll probably talk, I, we're going to talk about Hayden Hurst a little bit later, um, who was just erased by Jamal Adams in that game uh, in week one, where it kind of 
shifted to where Russell Gage got those targets. And he was, you know, did a lot of fourth quarter work as well, Russell Gage. I think Russell Gage is a, a fine guy to have, like, for your, like, bye week glue guy, injury guy. But he's not, like, a guy I don't think we're going to expect him to catch nine for 114 every week uh, going forward. Um, so, I mean, I'll side with Robbie A still here uh, and play for that, that boom mentality. It was interesting to see how they use Robbie as well because I don't know if he's going to get eight targets every week, but they weren't all these like downfield shots. Mm -hmm. He did convert the one, but they were actually using a more short intermediate. So I think when McCaffrey gets more than four targets, maybe it's Robbie uh, who sees some of those go away. But for now, yeah, take him over Gage. I do like Gage as a waiver pickup because as you said, he's fine for bye week fill-ins. I mean, we if we're going to have a complimentary receiver, it might as well be one in an offense throwing the ball as much as the Falcons. And you know, since they traded Sanu last season, he's been getting the targets, and I think it was. Uh, ESPN's Mike Clay who kind of pointed this out uh, originally, at least the first guy I saw uh, pointed out, but this Falcons offense, man, is like one injury away at almost any position from being in a lot of trouble. But in Gage's case, you know, if Ridley or Julio misses any time, we're looking at eight to 10 targets per week. So not a bad guy to have in the holster by any stretch. All right, from at HBTC23, Paris Campbell versus CD Lamb. Man, I saw this one. This one is uh, a good man, one. I've <laughs> I mean, I mean, he took some good. He picked up some good bench guys later in the draft, you know. Obviously, uh, because obviously, you know, we got this Blake Jarwin injury now too, which helps CD Lamb. Um, Paris Campbell's in such a great spot though too. We just everyone that watched that Viking secondary play last week. I mean, how could you not be just wanting to chop at the bit to play uh, any any anybody that plays them? And then CD Lamb plays the Falcons. <laughs> if you watch that game, it's like, oh my goodness, the, all those all those boundary corners uh, gave up so much production. That's I was a little bit disappointed that the Cowboys basically use CD Lamb as a strict slot player. I was one of those people that was looking forward to seeing if they were going to start using Amari Cooper in a more effective fashion. And Cooper was fine in week one, but you know his splits versus the slot and in, in uh, playing on the boundary are so night and day that I thought that they would you know scheme Cooper a little bit more. Maybe it will over the course of the season as Lamb gets comfortable. But it was he was locked in. I mean he ran 93% of his routes in the slot in week one. I mean that's where he will get the kind of the I guess better matchup in air quotes against the Falcons cornerback. Um, but you're not scared of Darquise Denard really either. Um, I still think here I would probably go with Campbell. Um, man, it's tough. This one, I have these guys really close in rankings too. Um, yeah, I just Campbell. I have Campbell just a couple spots higher. I mean, he just had that. He almost had like an instant mind meld with Phil. You know, the, those anticipatory throws from the slot. Um, he, they, they were really clicking in, in the week one. And then, you know, he just runs into this Minnesota matchup and all three of those guys played so poorly in that secondary in week one. And you're talking about guys like Alan Lazar and Marcus Valdez-Scantling getting over on them too. It wasn't just Devontae Adams. Um, man, it's tough. I got Campbell just a couple spots higher. And if Lamb outscored, I wouldn't be surprised. So maybe this would be one we disagree on. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would go with CD here. It's close. I'm one week away from trusting Campbell as a potential every week starter. I'm just not convinced that Philip Rivers was brought to the Colts to throw the ball 40 plus times a game. It's how it worked in week one. And, you know, credit to the Jaguars for, you know, getting, getting the job done. But this offense, it has to go through the offensive line at some point. I mean, I understand Rivers is more competent than Jacoby Brissett getting the balls to the backs and, you know, just uh, taking whatever the defense is giving them. But you're not going to win many. I mean, uh, we saw what happened when they try to have Rivers throw the ball 
ball that much. Not good things on the scoreboard. So, you know, I am expecting a, a drop back in the volume. I'd like to see, you know, where Campbell kind of falls in that target range when we see a game with fewer than 46. So I will go CD. I think this Cowboys-Falcons game just screams shootout uh, from all areas. So I will take the slightly uh, higher scoring game. Interesting note uh, on the game-by-game breakdown pod we had go up this morning uh, from Dwayne McFarlane where with CD running those routes in the slots, I mean, like, I think he said 40% of his routes, he was covered by linebackers and safeties. I mean, it's hysterical how it's 2020 and the NFL still just, you know, can't fathom how to guard these top wide receivers in the slot. It's like, oh, I'll put a linebacker on him. You know, wherever he lines up, it'll happen. But, uh, you know, it's a reality, and he is going to have those uh, uh, good matchups throughout the season. Yeah, uh, that's one of those things, uh, not to cut you off as we're oh, rolling through here, but that's one of those things that, like, when people look at the cornerback matchup charts, and a lot of people come to your site to do that, uh, like, people think that just because there's a slot cornerback that he guards the slot receiver. But that's not really the case. You know, we're talking a lot of zone coverage is played uh, when, when those guys are in slot coverage. It's not like they're just lining three cornerbacks up to face three wide receivers every snap. Um, and sometimes that can lead you away. Guys that play in the slot get a lot of that work against linebacker stuff because you're talking about working through those zones on those drags and those slants. And, you know, the, it's not always against those cornerbacks that are awesome that, and pop there. So, I mean, yeah, it's, that's how those guys get those favorable targets. But you always have to run from teams that have great slot cornerbacks because typically they're not just – shadowing guys like slot or slot receiver real good point yeah, we almost never see the shadow matchups uh, in the slot at all and I, I think we all remember that one uh keenan allen game late season a couple years ago against the steelers when they literally guarded him with a linebacker <laughs> on like 80 percent of the snaps so always got that in the range of outcomes too gotta love the nfl all right this one's from at shady 24 darius slayton two touchdown week one versus week one world beater sammy Watkins. Yeah, both these guys almost have like a, a, a chasing points feel, don't they? Yeah. Uh, a little bit because, you know, Golden Tate was out. And Slayton is – listen, Slayton's been awesome anytime a Giants player has been out of the lineup. Maybe that won't be the case here. Maybe this is truly him making that year two leap. Um, but he's literally been awesome anytime that, you know, either whether Sterling Shepard's been out or Golden Tate's been out or Evan Ingram's been out. Like, he's been involved. And last week Golden Tate was out. And then you fire up Darius Slayton. And he looked really good. It wasn't just him running, you know, deep routes and getting deep targets. He was really – he looked like a really bona fide receiver that took a step forward. Now, the question is now is just with if Tate plays this weekend, what do you do? Because, you know, they're on the road in Chicago. Uh, Daniel Jones didn't play well there last year. Um, so there's definitely low floor and variance there, whereas you can just say, hey, we got two high variance players. I'm just going to play the one attached to Patrick Mahomes. Right. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's kind of where we are with, with the Lizard King. Uh, he has not had a good history against the Chargers. So the Chargers are a, a team that has limited, you know, wide receiver production, even Tyree Kill. They've actually been pretty favorable against Mahomes in, in a Mahomesian sense. Mahomes is only thrown, I think, thrown for 256 or fewer in all four of his career games against the Chargers. And last year he threw for under two bills in both. Um, which is kind of, you know, not Mahomesian. But, uh, yeah, I think it just comes down to saying if Tate plays, I'm going to just play the guy next to Mahomes. If Tate is out, I would have no problem going back to Slayton. Yeah, the Tate factor is wild. It impacts Sterling Shepard, too. And if you look at yards per route run, the slot versus out wide, Shepard actually is one of the more sensitive receivers, too, that he's much better in the slot. And with Tate out, he is in there in the slot. So I kind of like uh, DFS, you know, going to Shepard as potential, uh, you know, getting back, bounce back. Because all throughout training camp, everyone was pointing to Shepard as a, you know, likely number one wide receiver. So, you know, fair play of Slayton having that big week one against a tough secondary. But 
but I do think uh, it's still, I, w- I would call him, you know, the ingrained uh, permanent number one option by any stretch. So I have Slayton ranked higher than Watkins, but then I was looking at this question and I still wanted to pick Watkins. So I might need to uh, readdress the rankings after this podcast, but it's just one of those things, man. Look, one of the, one of my worst calls last season was not getting on the Prashad Perryman hype train at the end of the year, because I, it was just Prashad Perryman. That was my, the extent of my analysis. Like, how are we going to trust Prashad Perryman? Who cares about the targets? And that's, I, I feel like this is the same situation with Sammy where, you know, just don't want to trust him because Sammy Watkins would burned too many times, but you know what? The guys out there in Chiefs offense with a full-time starting role seemingly set up for, you know, anywhere from eight to 10, six to 10, I'd say targets per game. So yeah, man, it's probably Sammy feels weird to say, but I guess we got to go back to the well here. Wow. Here we are, man. Sammy Watkins, 2020. <laughs> All right. We have some tight ends now. It's from at Kikoi 7-1. Uh, Johnny Smith versus Dallas Goddard. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, a lot of people have seen that Goddard game. Cause you know, he was drafted as a tight end too. A lot of people just took a shot hoping that, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Ertz will miss some time, something happens, but you've seen it even with Ertz playing, you know, he, he popped once again, uh, you know, he's got what eight or more targets now going back his last four games back to last year. And Ertz was banged up in two of those, but uh, he's the focal point of the offense. They, that team runs two tight ends. They also had a terrible game plan in week one. Um, for, for Carson Wentz to lead the league in ADOT when you have all those offensive line injuries is just unreal. And he's taking eight sacks. Like the fact that they weren't getting the ball to the, the running backs out more and getting the ball out fast, like that, that was just unreal. I'm surprised Carson Wentz survived week one uh, with a beating that he took. But Goddard got – it goes back. They're involving him even more back to last year, and it takes off. Um, it's it, the thing that stinks is just how sticky is it? Like, you know, how sticky is this? How, how can we count on it? Because it, they have Zach Ertz. It just gives one of those things that like, it's hard to really get over that hurdle in my mind. It's like, all right, well, Goddard had eight for one one, but there aren't going to be a lot of games where Zach Ertz has three for 17, right? Like, yeah. so when does that swing back? And then John, too, you know, John, you look at the matchup that they had last week and you say, yeah, he got the touchdown, but only had 36 yards. And Ryan Tannehill dropped back the most he's ever dropped back with the Titans. And now they're a 10 point favorite at home. So do we go back to Johnny Smith just blocking, uh, you know, for 60% of his snaps in week two? Uh, <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things. I think when I look at the Eagles uh, Rams game, I think that that just has a little more potential to be high score and go back and forth. So I would potentially go with Goddard and we didn't really get to see the Cowboys attack all the new pieces for the Rams with Jarwin's injury you know losing Corey Littleton um, and you know Kaiser that was his first game played in two years at middle linebacker and we really get to see the Cowboys even really kind of attack that because Jarwin you know kind of went out so maybe um, the Eagles will exploit that in week two Um, I do have Goddard just a couple spots higher I'm a little more I have like one foot in one foot out on John because the guy is so talented and he's so good after the catch but this offense, even in week one, you got that one-yard touchdown, but four for 36 isn't going to cut it. Um, so, I mean, I, I feel like he still has a lower floor, too. Yeah, Titans are the absolute – they get in the – by the goal line, it's like which backup offensive tackle or random <laughs> tight end you never heard of is going to score this time. Doing Johnu, no favors. I'm also going with Goddard. It is close. I mean, I have these guys right next to each other uh, in my tight end rankings, kind of on the uh, tight end one borderline this week. But, look, Goddard is a full-time player in this version of the Eagles offense. And, I mean, even with, uh, you know, Deshaun Jackson's snaps likely to go up, I don't think that's really going to change. We've now seen this for a li- almost pretty much a half a season. I mean, you go back 
to the since the Eagles uh, week 10 by in the 2019 season where you mentioned that Ertz has been banged up a little bit and Goddard was banged up before that by but just in this last eight nine games I mean Goddard has had 66 targets and Ertz has had 68 and Goddard's actually scored more uh, points per reception so I'm I'm not sitting here saying we should be ranking Goddard over Ertz I, I still think Ertz should be the favorite in any given week to lead this team in uh, targets but you know leading into our next question like it is interesting because even though Goddard is the quote-unquote number two tight end on his team he's actually playing a lot more than other tight ends around the league including TJ Hawkinson who's the next question so Hawkinson versus Goddard and yeah what I was talking about there real quick is I mean last week Hawkinson 64% snaps and Jesse James is right there at 50% and it's annoying you know Sheriff Jesse okay do your thing man I know they paid him 24 million over three years for whatever reason before they drafted Hawkinson but you know how do you approach this when Hawkinson is his team's tight end one Goddard's his team's tight end two but we actually might see more of Goddard when it comes time on the field. Yeah, you talked about, yeah, Goddard, you know, ran the 31, you know, pass routes. Hawkinson only ran a, a pass route on 59.6% of Detroit dropbacks. He almost did have another touchdown. He had tackled at the one-yard line on one, two. He almost would have had two, which would change probably the perception for a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, you talk about just – Goddard, I think, is a lot – you can count on his usage more than you can on Hawkinson, especially if Kenny Galladay is going to play. The one positive thing about Hawkinson is that – in nine games now play with Matthew Stafford, he has at least one end zone target in six of those nine games. So he's kind of like a safe bet that at least you can chase a touchdown with him uh, if you like feel like you're in a pinch. But I do think with Galladay coming back and then his actual route per drop back rate in week one, it still leaves some questions uh, to be answered for him making like a, a full bona fide jump into locked in tight end one status. I still think he's more in the hope you get a touchdown category. Yeah, man, with Hawkinson, I mean, with Galladay out, I assumed Hawkinson would leap up in that top three, but Quintez Cephas getting 10 targets, man. <laughs> the few times I've just been at a loss for words with, like, a week one production where I just literally didn't even, like, know the guy's name was this year with Quintez Cephas and two years ago when Philip Lindsay did his thing in week one. And I was just like, who? So, you know, on me, I got to do a little better job in the offseason, I guess. But, my goodness, man, I did not You're see that You're a big 10 coming. guy, too, man. Like, where, where are you at? I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make excuses. You know, I, I'll own up <laughs> to my mistakes. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a low point. But, you know, we'll watch the film and get better. All right, <laughs> Moving on, uh, at Remdog15, we got Russell Wilson versus Mr. 300-yard man, Josh Allen. I'm going Josh Allen here without even, like, without even blinking, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, as good as Russ was when we finally got to see him cook, uh, I mean, this is just – you're talking about the spot. You're talking about – he. Russ is at home, but he's playing a Patriots team that – really hasn't given up a lot of production dating back the last year. And they do have some pieces, I still think, that have opted out and that they, they lost in terms of pass rushers and Kyle Vanoy and Jamie Collins. That will maybe make an impact. They won't be as locked on as they were last year. But that Patriots defense still matches up pretty well with what Seattle can do. And then you, Josh Allen is just in a spot where, one, you should be just encouraged by how they use Josh Allen in week one. He had a career-high 53 dropbacks. Um, he used play action on a career-high dropbacks, 42%. He just used play action on 23% of it. Um, his, his dropbacks uh, last season and he had eight and, eight and a half yards per attempt uh, using play action week one as opposed to five and a half without so definitely keep using it Bills um, and then you uh, talk about just the matchup he's completely obliterated the Dolphins in his career and the Dolphins have some new pieces on defense and you know we can't always use these what a guy did versus a guy four years ago whatever but I mean he's literally been the QB2 the QB1 the QB7 and the QB1 in four career games against the Dolphins and the Dolphins just allowed 75 rushing yards to Cam Newton uh 
So, I mean, it's really hard for me to get away from Josh Allen and not treat him as like a top six, potentially top five, you know, quarterback option this week where I think Russ is like, you'll probably still start him if you have him, but I think he's more like should be treated as more of like a lower end QB one uh, this week. Yeah, I'm really drinking the Kool-Aid, man. I got Josh sitting there number three in <laughs> the QB it. ranks this week. And yeah, to me, to me, this wasn't a conversation really, uh, wasn't, you know, a hard debate in my head as well. I just like bringing up Josh Allen, like in positive lights, because every time it goes out there on Twitter, like five people in the mentions are always just going, oh, P- someone from PFS says something nice about Josh Allen in this economy. <laughs> just, it's crazy, man. So yes, Josh Allen, you know, say what you will about the guys, <laughs> a real life quarterback, anyone's idea of a top five option this week and fans. All right, two more quick start sets, and then we're going to get on to our top DFS picks. So this is from at Sean the Richard. We need to sit one of Michael Gallup, Anthony Miller, or Deontay Johnson. Uh, I think here, I'm going Anthony Miller, just when you look at his usage, and I love Anthony Miller. I was high on him coming in, but I mean, it was a bummer that he really didn't play in two wide receiver sets. He actually was, you know, an out snap by Ted Ginn. Uh, he ran a pass on just 55% of the Bears dropbacks and really didn't get cooked until all the, the, the cornerbacks died for the Detroit Lions <laughs> last week. So it gave me just it gave me give just a little bit of trepidation. And then actually Trubisky didn't even play well until all those guys went out too. Um, so it just gives me a little bit of trepidation. I think Gallup's just in a smash spot against when you like said we talk about those boundary corners in Atlanta. Uh, we expect that game to pop. And then Deontay Johnson I just think is a little bit safer floor with his 10 targets you know in week one. I do have some questions still about Deontay Johnson just the way he was used compared to the, the how he was used last year and how it rolled over a low a dot no vertical targets no end zone target type of guy i think that we still might be not seeing the, the full potential of how he could be used uh but when you look at the, those other two guys they're just more bankable for targets and to be on the field more than anthony miller i think um but still hold on to anthony miller see where this thing goes but i think right now he's more of a flex wide receiver four for me this week yeah, and we're recording this uh, Wednesday early afternoon. So I know Alan Robinson has a press conference later, seemingly to announce a contract extension. So I know there was some hope that, hey, maybe A-Rob leaves. Miller just takes over the passing game. You know, whether or not that would even benefit him is another topic of conversation. But, yeah, I don't think it's really uh, all that close. I got Deontay and Gallup top 33 and Miller down at wide receiver 50. If you just look at the box score, okay, he had a good week one. But as you brought up with the snaps, a lot of concern for him moving forward potentially. All right, last one here. We need to sit one. Uh, it's from at Papa Goose 12. Sit one between Jonathan Taylor, Raheem Mostert, Joe Mixon, and Aaron Jones. Yeah, great group. Great group he's got. It's a, you know, I would be looking for a trade if you got a wide receiver hole or something. You take one of these guys. People are looking for backs. Uh, definitely shop one of these guys around. I think just the short end of the stick here is Mostert. I mean, I definitely want to play Jonathan Taylor. I definitely want to play Aaron Jones, and I want to play Joe Mixon. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, that's just where it kind of falls. I mean, plus we I mean, we were really going to count on a 76-yard uh, catch and run, you know, for Mostert out of the backfield. Uh, weekly, I do think Tevin Coleman will play more snaps now that the air quality isn't. It won't be a concern. I think he'll get more snaps. Um, then I also am just concerned about this matchup. Well, well, one, the 49ers right side of the offensive line, you know, right guard and center with Wes Richards still being out is a problem. They didn't run it effectively in week one. Uh, and the Jets just devour the run. They were number one in rushing EPA last year. And then in week one, they came out and just the, oh, Josh Allen was the only person that had any successful runs against them. You know, the backfield didn't do anything. So, I mean, I'm, Mostert's still giving me, you know, that volume-based RB2 guy. He's in a system we like. Uh, but I, I supremely just like the other three guys a lot more here. 
Yeah, that's how I feel. Top 15, to me, they're four top 15 running backs. And most of it just comes in at the, uh, you know, bottom there. So uh, definitely, you know, I, I was encouraged by his past game usage, even though he's not going to get the, you know, 75-yard touchdown every week. Like you said, it was good to see him at least splitting that as opposed to McKinnon taking the whole damn thing over. So we'll see. It's interesting versus that uh, Jets D. I, I thought, uh, you know, losing Jamal Adams, they might just become an awful defense. But Greg Williams just, you know, wants to stop the run at all counts. So might want to be loading up on those uh, passing games in the future. So, all right, now we're getting to our favorite DFS plays of the week. We'll kind of mention the player and whether or not we're thinking about him in a cash or tournament game format. So, uh, Rich, well, how about you hit me with your quarterback first? Yeah, my quarterback is A.A. Ron, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, uh, man, he he looked like old Aaron Rodgers, not the guy we've seen in years not the guy that we only see when he played the Raiders um you know a year ago um, he looked like red ass Aaron Rodgers and he they, they were just ripping it up and then you can say all right well the Vikings had a lot of moving parts and they had you know all, introducing all these rookies in the secondary well the matchup once again is phenomenal uh at home against the Lions team that they already were missing Jeffrey Kuda third pick overall in the draft the hamstring injury Desmond Truvant and Justin Coleman also both left week one with hamstring injuries as we talked about with Mitch kind of getting hot in that fourth quarter and then I like Rodgers because he was pushing the ball you know you know in week one um he had the most fantasy points and throws 15 yards or further downfield he led the league in passing yardage on those throws um, uh, 23.3 yards per attempt on those throws banged up secondary uh, another good spot maybe the Lions can also be a team that like the Vikings did can just kind of nudge the Packers to keep throwing a little bit still too um, but I think he's a guy that uh, where he's priced he's a little bit more palpable on FanDuel than he is at drafting yeah, I was uh, talking in a previous pod about, you know, can this Packers passing game continue to do what they did in week one the whole season? And uh, for quarterbacks, we don't want to – I think Lamar's the only other guy I would entertain paying up for this week. Yeah, okay, yeah. Back, back yeah. To, back to. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. And, you know, thinking about Rodgers in that passing game, like can they do this the rest of the season? I don't know, but can they do this in week two against that banged up line <laughs> secondary that wasn't all that great to begin with? Absolutely. So mine, and I, I don't feel great about this, which is exactly how you want to start, you know, a recommendation uh, <laughs> point, but it's Jimmy Garoppolo. And it's just because I think we kind of do this thing with Jimmy a lot where he has one underwhelming game. We kind of write him off as this average QB, but then he can come back and put up some really big efforts. I mean, only Lamar Jackson had more games last season with at least four passes passing touchdowns. I think a lot of us thought Jimmy would have that type of performance in week one against the Cardinals didn't quite come to fruition, but now we're going to, you know, a much worse secondary in week two. I mean, Jets came in as PFF single worst secondary entering the season. I don't think they did much in week one to really, you know, prove that notion wrong. And this is just a weird situation where I think they might be so obsessed with stopping the run. It's going to force the 49ers to pass. And, you know, you're going to be able to form some cheap, just kind of contrarian stacks with him and some of these tight ends, particularly if George Kittle ends up being out, you know, with Jordan Reed there even Ross Dwelly sitting there at the mint price had to pull that name out of the hat this morning uh, maybe even the running back so you know it's iffy it's uh, I understand but uh, you know he is lower on that price point I think the I think his price point relative to the guys around him is a little bit too low for, for so for that reason in the matchup I will have some exposure to Jimmy G as ugly as it might sound out loud all right Rich who you got running back 
Uh, I, I like uh, everyone's favorite Twitter punching bag, you know, Ronald Jones. It's, I mean, it, it's real easy to just say, you know, the, when you look at Carolina, and they've allowed multiple rushing touchdowns in six straight games dating back to last season. That's the, the longest streak for any team since the 1999-2000 Cleveland Browns. Um, and they were, you know, just it's picked up right where they left off last year, just getting smoked on the ground. And, you know, Bruce Arians, at least true to his word for one week, I mean, it was really Ronald Jones' show. I mean, he played 47% of the offensive snaps, um, where LaShawn McCoy saw 36%, but he handled 17 of the 22, you know, backfield uh, rushing attempts. He had 73% of the backfield touches. That was that ranked ninth amongst all running backs in the league. Maybe we'll see Leonard Fournette's role grow as it goes on, and, and maybe he won't get the goal line carries. But uh, anyone playing the Carolina Panthers, I am going to dip my toes in the water for sure. Yeah, that's an amazing stat. Anytime you're pulling something back from the 90s, man, you should uh, feel proud about that. I'm looking at uh, Kenyon Drake and a little bit of a play off of Jonathan Taylor, who's just going to be eating chalk at 5,700. Oh, um, so, and Drake's a little more expensive, but people seem kind of down on him after week one. And okay, it wasn't, you know, one of his biggest performances. We saw him have the four touchdown game last year and everything, but it continued to largely be a one-back backfield. I mean, Drake played 69% of the snaps. He had 16 carries, two targets. The Cardinals are really, I think, running the pace they probably wanted to run all last season just weren't quite efficient enough to probably do it so I think we're going to see a ton of plays uh, from this offense all season so even though Chase Edmonds 36% snaps six carries five targets maybe a little more involved than than Drake uh, fantasy uh, managers would have hoped for but you know it was a week where Kyler had 13 rush attempts himself that's not going to happen uh, every week and I think we're going to see Drake you know potentially push for 20-plus carries if they can get up on the scoreboard. And, you know, all the credit in the world, the Washington football team defensive line, I mean, they got beasts everywhere there. But, you know, going into the season and looking at last year, I mean, it was Lamar Jackson's Ravens and Kyler Murray's Cardinals as the two top offenses just in rushing efficiency almost across the board. So I think Drake, you know, we, we see he's the lead back and better days will be on the horizon. Don't be afraid to chase. Again, slightly tough matchup, but I don't think we should be uh, crowning Washington as a defense. We just need to fully fade quite yet. All right, Rich, why are you not afraid of T.Y. Hilton in week two? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just kind of what we hinted on earlier, just, you know, how bad the, both of those boundary corners struggled for the Vikings in week one. You know, Holton Hill, he allowed seven for 87 and one in his coverage. Cameron Dantzler uh, allowed seven for, you know, 80 yards and a touchdown in in his coverage and Hilton still was there. The targets are there. He caught four of nine targets, but his nine targets were there at the top of the team. He also led the team in depth of target, 12.2 yard depth of target. Um, so, I mean, the, the only difference too uh, is that, you know, now Paris Campbell, you know, elevating, we don't see that like dual usage from Hilton. He was a guy that would like typically get in the slot for like 30 to 40% of his routes. And even last year he was running uh, like around 30%, 29, 30%. And he only ran 10% uh, of his routes in the slot with them having an actual full-time slot receiver now. Um, but that just opens up his ceiling a little bit more. So just basically just going back and saying people like, oh, he was a dud, but the targets are there, the depth target was there and the matchup is here indoors um and you know if you're going to go uh that is fine but you know to build there's ways to build around that game and do a lot of game stacking potential in that as well you know with the receivers i think philip rivers is in a weird spot too like you know if the matchup is good uh you can run it back with you know kirk cousins based on just how much zone uh, the Colts played and how many easy completions they gave up to the Jaguars. Uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, you've got Adam Thielen. There's a lot. That game's kind of sneaky fun, and it has some fun potential. Um, I'm going right back, though, to, to Hilton, though, as a top 24 receiver this week. 
the two seemingly run first offenses with secondaries that can't guard anyone. So <laughs> I mean, you would think that they'll maybe adjust that, but yeah, that's sneaky shootout. And I don't really have a good grasp of that one yet. So I, I want to talk about uh, Deontay Johnson for a second. I, I think the points you brought up are fair. I mean, we would like to see that a dot increase, but to me, it was still, it, it turned out really well because I was getting some like Dante Moncrief vibes for a little bit. It looked bad, man. I mean, he had a brutal drop in the third quarter where it was just like, Oh man, what's going on here? Are we going to, we're going to see him at the bench, but the very, next play Rossberger went back to him and tight coverage Deontay came down with it seemed like that really kind of you know took some pressure off his shoulders and for the, the rest of the way they were really connecting uh, uh throughout the game and going into week two it's like okay we now know we have the snaps Juju and Deontay are the offense's top two receivers and Washington Claypool are rotating it's what we thought would happen but it's good to have that uh you know certification so knowing that I'm ready to fire up Deontay Johnson as a top 30 receiver on a weekly basis particularly in this spot I mean Denver you know not a bad defense Defense, but you take away Von Miller and now AJ Bouye is on IR. Like he's going to be going up, going up against, you know, a very middling uh, cornerback group. Bryce Callahan is probably the sl uh, strongest one, but he's going to be in the slot, you know, spending most of his time with Juju if there's not some linebacker or safety doing that. But uh, yeah, man. So I, I think uh, we just got to get used to Deontay Johnson being uh, at least a viable, you know, wide receiver three more weeks than not. I don't think we're going to quite see 2018, you know, Big Ben 5,000 yards uh, version of the Steelers offense, but I think it's definitely good enough to enable potentially two wide receiver twos throughout the season all right we're going to end things on tight end rich why are you not giving up on hayden hurst yet well we always i mean early in the season i've all and go circle back to those guys because we see this every year you know someone's hot on a guy or someone's chalky and then they flame uh, and then everyone's like they just run for the hills and then the next week you can come back and typically scoop up some leverage on those guys because you know hey man not everyone's good every week but I think mean, I think Hayden Hurst was one of those things where it just you were looking at team stats and people looked at stuff in the situation he got a lot of buzz all offseason and Seattle was bad against tight ends last year but I mean this man Jamal Adams gave up zero yards and 45 coverage snaps he was targeted just two times times uh he made a difference he had a sack he that, that guy was everywhere in that game uh despite that game being a little more shootout uh potential and then it, it just like I said it turned over that where it made more sense for Russell Gage to be involved uh but if you look at he made it, Hayden Hurst ran the most routes of all tight ends in the NFL he ran a he ran a route in 81 percent of Atlanta's dropbacks those are guys we want when guys on the field we want our tight ends running routes we want them in you know high high passing offenses that's what we've got here um, and then, you know, that Cowboys, they lose Leighton Van Der Esch, they lose Sean Lee. Uh, so, I mean, it's just a spot where I think Atlanta is going to drop back and throw a lot and he's going to be running routes and everyone was mad that he didn't deliver for them in week one. So I'm going to go back and try to get leverage uh, on those people that are disappointed in week two. Yeah, I think that's a good pivot. I mean, we, we know Ridley and Julio are going to be the top two there, but it could definitely go back and forth between Hurst and uh, Russell Gates throughout the season. I am liking me some Jordan Aikens, man. I, you know, I know everyone's been, you know, buying Logan Thomas this week, but I think Aikens is the guy that actually, you know, if you really need help at the tight end position, don't be afraid to scoop him up. He played, we talk about tight ends out on the field. Jordan Aikens played more snaps than any Texans wide receiver in that Thursday night game last week. And he looked good doing so. He's always looked good. It's just been a problem of, Aikens and uh, Darren Fells were splitting snaps and targets almost like down the middle last year. Aikens has always been the one more, you know, able to stretch the field. Fells, you know, we kind of joke about the 
two, three catches for 13 yards and two touchdowns type stat lines because he only kind of gets those, you know, catch and fall type passes. But Aikens legit has talent. And the way they were using him with 24, uh, you know, 24 of his 48 offensive snaps were in the slot. So he's more or less a receiver. And it's a Sean Watson offense. Matchup isn't good. I get it versus the Ravens. But it might put him in comeback mode. And, you know, even though I'm not hyping up Watson as a top five QB this week, he is one of the best dudes in the league at racking up yards when it does get to garbage time. So I think Jordan Aikens is someone we're going to have to wrap our mind around having a pretty big role this year. And I think he could get some good production with it. All right, man, that's going to do it. We've got through a lot of dudes here. Thank you again for coming on. Enjoy talking to you. Do you have any uh, stuff on the pipeline you want to pitch throw out for the loyal listeners out there? Now you can just find all my work at sharpfootballanalysis.com. I also have a podcast. It's called pre-snap motion. You guys can check that out every week, but other than that, I'm just glad that football's here and we've got some normalcy back in our lives. So great, man. Everyone follow Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. Awesome stuff, man. And thank you all for listening. I'm Ian Hartz. This has been the PFF fantasy football podcast. And until next time, take care, everyone.